more or less um, uh, run out regarding talking about the work, but I want to come to the Word of God itself, and uh, we're going to turn to the Scriptures, we turn to Nehemiah and chapter 8, I want to bring a message to you uh, from this passage, and uh, let me just say again how thrilled I am to be here, we're thankful for your interest, for your support, we, we value the prayers of the Lord's people, and uh, we trust the Lord will bless you as you pray for the work. I'm going to read the first eight verses of the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, so chapter 8 of Nehemiah, verses 1 to 8. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding, upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and the women, and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon the pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah and Shemar, and Anaiah and Urijah, and Hilkiah and Maaseiah on his right hand. And on his left hand, Pedaiah and Mishael, and Meshalem, and Melchiah, and Hashem, and Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshalem. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua and Bani and Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hodijah, Maaseiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Pelaiah and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Now we introduced to Ezra in the book of Ezra chapter 7 as a ready scribe in the law of the Lord. He was a man who loved the Lord and loved the word of God and wanted other people to hear and to love the word of God. He was a man in whom the spirit of Christ dwelt as was true of all Old Testament saints. They were looking ahead to the coming of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. What a different man Ezra the scribe was to the scribes we read of in the New Testament who opposed Christ, who had effectively nullified the commandments of God by exalting human traditions over God's commandments. So it's quite refreshing to see what scribes really ought to be like. So when you see Ezra and see something of his character, then you see what such men really ought to be like. Now, we would not perhaps call this occasion a Bible conference, but certainly the Bible was very much the centre of attention on this occasion because you notice mention is made of the book a number of times. Notice verse 1, it says, the end of the verse, bring the book of the law of Moses. Verse 2, Ezra the priest brought the law. Verse 5, Ezra opened the book. And verse 8, so they read in the book in the law of God distinctly. 
So here then is a great focus upon the Word of God. And I think back to my own country of the UK, and you think of it was once known as the land of the book, and that book was the Bible, and that Bible was the King James Version. And it's departed such a long, long way from where it once was. Queen Victoria was once asked the question by an African prince, what was the secret of England's success? And she said, the Bible, and presented a copy to him. There's a famous painting, actually, by Thomas Barker showing Queen Victoria handing this Bible to this African prince. We're going to notice four things briefly. First of all, desiring the word. We notice that in verse 1. At the end of the verse, they said, Bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. What a contrast with what was happening here in Jerusalem compared to how Jerusalem once was during the time of uh, Jeremiah, for example, when they hated what he said. They hated his prophecies. They hated the word of the Lord. They wanted to listen to the false prophets. They wanted to hear smooth things. But because they refused to hear, refused to repent, God carried them away into captivity a thousand miles away from home in Babylon for a lifetime, for 70 Years. Of course, many died. The older generation died off in Babylon, but a younger generation were brought back to their homeland, purged of their idolatry. That was their uh, crowning sin, their besetting sin in particular. And here when them was signs of life as they were now back in their homeland, asking, desiring the word of God. It's always a sign of life, isn't it, when people start to listen people start to show an interest in the word of God. When spiritual life is there in the heart, there's an attraction to the holy scriptures. Notice the unity of the people. We're told in verse 1 at the beginning, they were together as one man. This wasn't just a case of a few keen people trying to encourage the others as best they could. They were all of one mind in this important matter. There as one man, as it were. Interestingly, this took place at the Watergate. Now, when you look carefully... At the details regarding the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem, you notice the Watergate didn't need to be rebuilt because it hadn't been destroyed by enemy action. Water sometimes is used in the Bible as an illustration of the scriptures itself, like the washing of water by the word, as one example. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to suggest the Watergate reminds us of God's word. God has established it. Yes, there's been enemy action, but they haven't been successful in destroying the word of God. It doesn't need to be rebuilt. God has purpose. His word shall stand forever. And so we take our stand on this particular point, to the reliability of the word of God, the providential preservation of the Holy Scriptures. And they recognized, didn't they, the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded. They saw its divine authority. They didn't say, we want to hear what Moses has to say. No, they said, we want to know what the law of the Lord says by the hand of Moses. TBS ministers to thousands of people all around the world who likewise desire the word of God. We had a letter some time ago from Cabway in Zambia. A Bible conference was established for a certain Saturday. People were coming in from various places, long distances, it started to rain heavily at half past ten in the morning. It continued to rain till half past three in the afternoon. Many people couldn't get in the building. It's so overcrowded. But they stayed outside in the rain, even though they didn't have umbrellas. 
They wanted to hear at least something of the ministry of the Word of God. At the end of the day, they were so pleased to take away with them a free copy of a TBS Bible. Well, something similar to that was happening here. These people were really desiring the Word of God. Secondly, we notice them hearing the Word, verse 2. Men and women, we're told, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. Really, it's quite simple what was happening. There, a pulpit had been erected, so we would assume in an uh, elevated position, and Ezra and his 13 contemporaries uh, were there. We presume taking it in turns to read the word of God to the people. So it's simply the word and the people under the word. Now, it's no uh, chance happening, is it, that it's no coincidence that the vast majority of non-conformist places of worship, now I say non-conformist in English context, isn't it? But you know what I mean? The vast majority of Bible-loving churches are so organized that there's a pulpit in a position where most people can see and most people can hear, hopefully. That's the intention. The altar in some churches is the centerpiece of the church and centerpiece of worship. But that's not how it should be. The word of God should be central. Amen. It's the people under the word. Amen. There used to be a Presbyterian church in the city of Bath in the west of England. And the practice of that church was this. That just before the service began, the vestry door would open. One of the officers of the church would come in with an open Bible resting on his hands. He'd carefully walk up the pulpit steps, lay it on the cushion, descend the pulpit, then the minister would come in and begin the service. And the intention was to demonstrate to the people this service exists because we have the Word of God before us. And that's what was happening here. The Word of God was before them. They desired it and they wanted to hear it. We move on thirdly to notice they were heeding the Word in verse 3. The end of the verse, the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. You could say they were hungry for what they were hearing. They were captivated. They were spellbound. They were hanging upon the words that were being spoken to them. They realized that God was speaking through the written word of truth, speaking to their hearts. And it's the God of heaven who must give us new ears to hear, otherwise we remain deaf to the message of the word of God. The famous Baptist commentator Dr. Gill once said, just as the adder is deaf to the charmer's voice, so we by nature are deaf to the charming sound of the gospel. It's a lovely way of putting it, but it's true, isn't it? Some of us can look back to the time when we first really started to listen. Some of us were brought up with the word of God. We know, knew these things from a child, but we just listened in a kind of general kind of way. It sort of went flying past our ears, you might say, but the time came when we really wanted to hear for ourselves. We were listening in the light of a never-ending eternity. We wanted to be saved from our sins. We wanted to know God's great salvation. So they were heeding the word that they were hearing. So this appears to go on for about six hours because it began from morning, 6 a.m., in the Middle East till midday. So this was a long stretch of time, but the people wanted to hear. What a wonderful thing that is. What do you think was happening in verse 8? So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly, 
and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Some commentators suggest what was happening here was possibly translation. Some more recently come back from Chaldea, perhaps were more well-versed in the Chaldean tongue, perhaps didn't know Hebrew very well. If that was the case, then it was necessary to translate for them into the Chaldean language. But whatever was actually happening, we do know this, that the people who were ministering on that occasion were concerned to make sure the people could hear distinctly, they gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. That's the task and responsibility of gospel preachers, Sunday school teachers, Christian parents and evangelists and, and so on. The task is to try to convey as simply, as plainly and as faithfully as we can the truth of God from his word. And then finally we notice them responding to the word. Notice verse 6, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, or if you prefer, Amen, Amen. Which means, of course, let it be so, or so be it. It's acquiescing with the truth of what we, we have heard. We are saying, this is what we want to happen. We believe this is true. So, what an appropriate way then to hear the word of God. With lifting up their hands, which implies prayer, is a good thing. After we hear the word of God, to turn to the Lord in prayer, asking that we might not lose what we've heard as we step over the threshold to go home. How easily that can happen. How easily the, the fowls of the air, as it were, come to peck up the good seed of the word. But we want it to bear fruit in our hearts and our lives. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Reverence before a holy God. Reverence before the hearing of the word of God. That's how we are to hear God's word. We are to hear it with reverence and understanding. We are to realize that God is speaking. The word of God is God's voice. And we need to listen with wisdom and obedience. But further down the chapter, just very briefly before we conclude... We notice that many people were weeping, verse 9. And it was said to them, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Now, those of us who are preachers, our first intention when we preach is not to produce emotion. We don't just appeal to the emotions. But it's nevertheless true that when people do hear the word of God sometimes and their hearts are touched, their hearts are pricked under a sense of conviction, they may weep. We're not to be surprised by that because sin is grievous. The sense of the danger of hell is a very serious sense of danger. So we're not surprised when people are affected. That's what we want to see, people affected by the word of God. But also there's another sense in which people may weep, and that is when they find the joy of salvation. Tears of joy run down people's faces sometimes when they hear of Christ and his grace and his love and mercy towards sinners. When the gospel is applied to their hearts with a sense of healing and a sense of relief. So these people were weeping, but they were told not to weep anymore. Verse 10 Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is what we we long to see more of this, people being pricked in their hearts, people being touched, people being convicted and troubled about their souls, wanting to know the way of salvation, praying the publican's prayer, God be merciful to me, a sinner. We also want to see people coming to genuine gospel liberty, freedom in Christ Jesus, seeing the significance of his atoning work and sacrifice on behalf of sinners. 
they might know the joy of the Lord as their strength. Well, much more, of course, could be said on this chapter, but I trust that you'll be encouraged to uh, perhaps further meditate on this passage. But what a joy it is to think about these things and a joy to be here to share these things with you. Thank you so much.